faith in Jesus' name has healed him before your very eyes. That's our theme verse from Acts chapter 3, verse 16 for this week's Brookwood Church Sunday Message Podcast. Senior Pastor Perry Duggar will continue our series, Church Empowered, with this week's episode titled Miracles. If you want to watch the video of this week's message, listen to worship, or search through our message archives, visit brookwoodchurch.org slash watch or download the Brookwood Church app. We pray this message encourages you and your walk with Christ. Yeah, good morning. Glad, so glad to see more bodies coming. Everybody's finding their way out from under the rocks. <laughs> We continue our series, Survey of Acts, called the Church Empowered. That's for the first half of Acts. And the title of today's message is Miracles. The theme verse, which if you've downloaded your resources or you're looking at them on your uh, iPhone, your smartphone, you will know that the theme is just in a, a shortened version of Acts chapter 3 at verse 16 Faith in Jesus' name has healed him before your very eyes. And so we will talk about miracles. We'll talk about healing. A simple definition of a miracle is an act produced by supernatural power. It's also a, a supernatural intervention. You can almost say it's an intrusion into the ordinary. And so it's a supernatural intrusion that disrupts or it overrules the ordinary laws of nature. In the New Testament, there's three groups of words that are often translated as miracle. And you say, boy, you're starting academic early. Well, we've got to kind of, this is one of those subject matters in the scripture where there's lots of confusion and there's whole denominations set up on differing views of this, this type of topic. But in this, in the New Testament, as I said, there's three pairs of words. The first word, and that, that dunamis is what you call an English transliteration of a Greek word. Obviously, those aren't Greek letters. Dunamis is God's power. Simeon is sign. That's used often in John. Teros is wonder. So when we see, and you won't, you won't see it unless you're looking in the Greek, but when the Greek word dunamis is used, it's a focus on the power of God doing something. And that's the definition I use because it's very commonly used in the New Testament. Acts 8.13 is an example. Simeon is often used by John because he talks about a miracle being a sign. And a sign is evidence or an indicator of divine activity. Teros is translated wonder typically. And you, it, it refers to a miracle, the effect that a miracle has on people. It causes the people to be filled with awe and to marvel. Now, what you usually see, in fact, I'm not sure there's any exception, the word teros and the word simeon are paired together. Signs and wonders, sometimes wonders and signs, but they always come together. And here's an example, Acts chapter 2, verse 22. People of Israel, listen. God publicly endorsed Jesus the Nazarene 
by doing powerful miracles. What Greek word is that? Speak loud. Dunamis, yeah. Wonders, which one is that? Teros and signs. Simeon, good, good, through him, as you well know. So there's a good example of using the three different words. Now, these three words don't describe different events. What they describe are the same event in complementary ways. And you can see it like this. Dunamis power, teros wonder, emphasize God's ability, his being all-powerful. And Simeon emphasizes the significance of the event. So as we start, have you experienced a miracle from God in your life? How many of you think you have? Like many have, very common. Now, when I say a miracle, remember, I'm not talking about a message of guidance, just hearing direction from God or instruction or even warning. When we speak of a miracle, we're talking about something that interrupts natural law, the normal events of nature. So we're going to observe a miracle that was performed by God through Peter in Acts chapter 3. And we begin at verse 1. Peter and John went to the temple one afternoon to take part in the three o'clock prayer service. That was their ordinary practice. As they approached the temple, a man lame from birth. What's the significance of that? Why does it tell you how long he's been lame? So they could witness it, but give me something else. John, why does it say he was lame from birth? Because it was permanent. It was hopeless. You see what I'm saying? Not somebody with a sprained ankle, not someone with a torn knee. Someone who had never been able to walk. Never been able to walk. Was being carried in. Each day, he was put beside the temple gate. The one called the beautiful gate. It was a large, ornate metal gate on the eastern side of the temple. Separated the court of Gentiles from the court of women. And Josephus, the historian, said that it required 20 men to open it. So he was put there so he could beg from people who were going into the temple. I wonder why he was put there. Why would that be a good place? People are more generous when they go to church. They think God's watching them, perhaps. Also, they had shown up to make a contribution into the temple offering, so they had a little cash on them as well. They're feeling thankful for God. At least their mind is Godward. So what better place to maybe pry a little bit of generosity from them than right there? When he saw Peter and John about to enter, he asked them for some money. But he was about to receive something far beyond what he was asking for. I wonder how much like this lame man we are. 
What are you asking God for right now? And how often are we crying out for things that will just make us temporarily more comfortable? That will solve some immediate worldly problem? And we fail to ask God to give us something that will transform us rather than fixing our problem, for example, giving us, giving us a new perspective on our problem, giving us an eternal perspective on our problem. So let's consider as we dive into this miracle, the meaning, the significance, the purpose of miracles, both then and now. And according to this passage, the purpose of miracles first is to identify God's messengers. Verse four, Peter and John looked at him intently and Peter said, look at us. The lame man looked at them eagerly, expecting some money. But Peter said, I don't have any silver or gold for you, but I'll give you what I have. Now, how did the man react to that? Did he like it? No. He, he, you know, he was, oh yes, please give me something spiritual. He was thinking, you cheap. You know. Don't, wasn't he? Y'all, you know, I'm glad y'all are coming back because it takes me to shake some of this religion out of y'all. So you can really see this, this biblical truth accurately. So this man's about to receive something, but I want you to notice this. Do you think he was the only beggar, only ill person at the gate? No. There were probably many beggars. There may have even been others that were crippled, others that were lame, blind, couldn't speak. But God selected in this story, how many? Don't miss this. God selected one. Why? Why this one? He was filled with faith. He didn't know who he was talking to. Well, he asked for money. He didn't ask for healing and he didn't ask for faith. It was God's purpose. It's God's plan. And so Peter continues. In the name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene. And when he says in the name of Jesus, that doesn't mean the word Jesus, does it? No, it means the name of Jesus is like the character, the authority, the power, the will. You see what I'm saying? It has to be consistent with something that he would do. See, if I said, now in the, Lind in the name of Linda, I'm doing this. I wouldn't get too far. <laughs> she said I wouldn't get too far. <laughs> but maybe I would with people that knew you if I was asking for something consistent with something you would ask or something you would do. So in the name of Jesus... Get up and walk. How'd the crippled man feel about that statement? He didn't believe it. And he probably 
didn't feel encouraged, he probably felt what? Scared. What about scolded? What about thinking? I mean, here's what I think. Maybe I'm more skeptical than y'all are. If I'm sitting here and I've been crippled all, and here's these guys I don't know, and they say, get up and walk. I'm thinking, they think I'm, I'm faking. They're not giving me anything. They're just about to chew me out. They're about to tell me off. So this so far isn't a positive experience for this man. Maybe, maybe he was hopeful. Maybe. Maybe he was skeptical. Could have been afraid. Could have been just tired of hearing it. You know, there are a lot of people who, whenever someone asks for something, the person they ask comes up with all the excuses why they're not given anything. Oh, you look like you can work. Oh, you should do this. Oh, you're, you're too lazy. Oh, you're the, you know what I'm saying? He probably had heard that dozens and dozens of times from people who were looking for an excuse not to give. You know how I've said before, we see people with signs. How many of us look for, oh, he's gonna spend this on something that's not good. When we ought to just go ahead and give something out of the generosity of our heart. And he hears the name of Jesus. This beggar, he'd been around. He came to the temple every day. He'd heard the stories. He'd heard about this man, Jesus. But what he'd heard about him is the Jewish religious leaders wanted him killed, and the Romans cooperated with it. So this guy's been put to death as a blasphemer. Now, some said he had been resurrected, but I, I have my doubts. So what was about to happen, though, would prove that the name of Jesus possessed power. And that this man, Peter, somehow had the ability to dispense it as his representative, as an apostle, which is a, a messenger, an ambassador of Jesus. See, it's undisputed that miracles were given to authenticate that Jesus was the God sent Messiah. But miracles also verified his apostles as being his spirit empowered messengers who could preach and teach and, yes, heal out of his authority. So it was like his endorsement of these men. But remember, I told you last week who these men were. These were, these were fishermen from Galilee. They weren't well taught. They may have been illiterate. They certainly didn't know all the Old Testament scriptures. They didn't dress fancy. They didn't talk fancy. And so for them to have any kind of authority at all, they needed to be given some undeniable abilities to prove that they represented God. To prove that they were related to God through his son, Jesus. Now we see this again later 
when it would be especially important for Paul to perform signs and wonders and miracles of power to prove he was an apostle because you see, he didn't even meet Jesus in person. He met the spirit of Christ on the road to Damascus. He didn't travel with the apostles. He wasn't seen among them. He didn't act with them. And so it was even more crucial that he be given power. Well, how does this apply to us? Well, what characteristic in your life is so unusual that it proves that you belong to God? And further, that you represent him. What about your life asserts that? The purpose of miracles is also to illustrate God's power. It's a little bit redundant. But verse 7. It's interesting how this miracle occurs. Then Peter took the lame man by the right hand and helped him up. Did the man get up on his own? I think we see skepticism there. You think so, John? The guy said, Peter said, get up and walk. And this guy's just sitting there. He's thinking, what are you saying? Give me some money and shut up. I've had enough people lecture me instead of try to help me. So he's still sitting. And Peter takes him by the hand and pulls. Because this guy, remember, has feet and ankles that do not work. And they never have. They never have. And as he did, the man's feet and ankles were instantly healed and strengthened. But wouldn't you understand his hesitance? He'd never stood. He'd never walked. So Peter, we don't know whether he yanked him, whether he pulled him, whether he just gently lifted. I think he pulled. But I'm a little more skeptical of human nature than John is. And it says, when, when were his feet healed? While he was laid out? When were they healed? As he stood. See, there's a moment of faith, isn't it? As he stood. He heard the bones cracking. He heard, we don't know what the de deformity was. He was healed completely. He, he, didn't, he didn't need a physical therapist. You know, sometimes people have strokes and they go to physical therapists because they have to relearn how to function with their, with their limbs that are affected. They have to relearn how to talk. This man never walked, never stood, never put pressure on his feet, and nobody had to teach him anything. But you know what? Some of you can't walk, can't talk, can't see, 
and you're too afraid to try. You're too afraid of failure. You're too afraid God won't deliver you. You're too afraid no one will help. And God might be saying, stand up. Step out. Remember, the Red Sea didn't part until Moses did what? He stepped into it. Same happened at the Jordan River. Acts 3, 8. He jumped up. He stood on his feet. He began to walk. Then walking, leaping, and praising God, he went into the temple with them. When God does a miraculous work of healing to demonstrate his power, the ones I see in the scripture, they're not incremental. Are they? They're instantaneous. They're complete. And the person who is healed knows who did the healing. This guy is praising God. He'd been sitting outside the temple and he, for years, thinking nothing special about this place, nothing special about these people. It's just a place where I tend to get a little bit more money. Is that fair? They weren't carrying him inside where the scripture was read. He was standing outside to try to collect some coins. There's a lot of religious skepticism in our day. Would y'all agree with that? I wonder if it's because the people have seen no power in us. Little conviction. What value is there? It didn't do him any good. It didn't cause her to change. But imagine this man. His delight. His happiness. His joy. It says he leaped. Can you get that feeling? You understand it? You know, my grandsons have a similar trait. Before they could speak, they showed their joy by kicking. And so you knew whether they liked you or not when you showed up. Because if you showed up and they really loved you and they liked you, they were, they were doing this. Now, if you were just, eh, they just looked at you and went back to what they were doing. But that's what joy looks like, see. It's standing, it's leaping. It might, what's your, how do you show it? You can't do what I did? Get up here. I'm gonna hold you by the hand and you. <laughs> but you have a way, it might be laughing. It might be that, I know it's that big smile you have. You know what I'm saying? We show our joy, it can't be hidden, can it? And this man, he demonstrated his joy by using what was broken. And that's how only God gets the glory. Because you use what doesn't work in your own power. And it glorifies nobody but him. Verse 9. All the people saw him walking and heard him praising God. 
when they realized he was the lame beggar they had seen so often at the beautiful gate, they were absolutely astounded. That sounds like wonder, doesn't it? When God heals, it's not in doubt. It's not debatable whether there's another cause. And so he receives all the credit. His son gets all the glory. And so these people, in verse 11, we're, we're at now. They all rushed out in amazement to Solomon's colonnade or porch, covered area at the temple where the man was holding tightly to Peter and John. Holding tightly. Wonder why? Did he think it, he might lose his standing or was it, or was it just a grip of appreciation? What do y'all think? What do you benders think? Which one was it? Appreciation. You just, you have nothing to give. You're just clinging. You ever felt like that toward Christ? You're just clinging. You don't even have words to say over what he's done for you. You're just holding tightly. And it's an emotion that's understood. Now these people knew this man. He'd been there every day. They walked by him every time they went in the temple. You know what, you know what I'm talking about. You know these people, right? They get right in the way. And so, so, you know, he was desperate. He was helpless, probably disheveled, maybe dirty, you know, not well-dressed. Someone had to carry him up there and they'd sit him down and then they'd come and pick him up at the end of the day. Humiliating life. Now, maybe they'd given some coins a few times. You know what I'm saying? But... They were probably like a lot of y'all are when y'all see the people at the door at bylaw, y'all go out the other door. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Are we even at Christmas? They're ringing that bell and you're having to figure out, all right, where is she? Where is she? Where is she? So you can go out the other door. Well, don't you think they did that? I'm not, I gave this guy money last week. I'm not giving him money now. I'm going to wait till he looks away or maybe he goes to the bathroom or something. I'm going to get out then. But boy, when they saw this guy change, see, they knew this was not a scam because he'd been, they saw him there for years and nobody would scam like that day after day, year after year. Nobody. And so they wanted an explanation. Wouldn't you? You've had to give a few people an explanation about you, haven't you? They look at you and they say, wait a minute now. I knew you before. Something happened here. And Peter would provide it. This healing, you see, it had a specific purpose. That's the point I'm making. It revealed God's power by healing a hopeless person and identifying Peter as an endorsed spokesman. Now, here's what I want you to understand. When you're in a book like Acts, or even the Gospels to a lesser degree, but particularly Acts, understand that this is a narrative. Narrative 
it's telling a story. It's, it's a description. It's not made up. It's, it's true, but it's a, de, it's a description. Therefore, it's descriptive, not necessarily prescriptive. So you have to be careful that you don't look at something that happens in Acts and make it a theological principle that is supposed to be repeated over and over and over. Because what God did through this apostle occurred in a transitional period. Remember last week we've seen the Spirit of God didn't stay in people. Suddenly the Spirit of God stays and gives evidence. But that was an event that was described, not necessarily something that should keep happening over and over and over everywhere. This is the beginning of the kingdom of God on earth. So there's some supernatural events that endorse it, that authorize it. You see what I'm saying? I mean, this is a major shift in faith understanding. And so it's accompanied by some supernatural events so that people would believe, could believe. But in, again, back to healing, this story doesn't establish that God wants to heal everyone. He chose how many? He chose one. It doesn't assert that the gift of healing is given to the church to deal with every illness. I don't want to disappoint you on this, but, but I, I don't want us to have some aspirations, some expectations of God that the scripture doesn't endorse. Because if I say, God wants every one of you healed, we're going to pray, we're going to anoint you with oil, you aren't healed, then we have to find a reason. Oh, no, no, there's something wrong in you. There's something broken in your faith, something in your doubt. And guess what? All of us have doubts, don't we? None of us have perfect faith. Now, here's what, what I want. Y'all hear me clearly. Well, Perry doesn't believe in healing. I absolutely believe in healing. Supernatural, power of God, healing. Signs and wonders. Absolutely believe it. 1 Corinthians 12, 9, in talking about the gifts that are given to the church, says one of the gifts the English says gift of healing. And I thought, so do people have a gift of healing? Why can't anybody empty out a hospital? Where are these people? But if you look closer, what it actually says in Greek is gifts, plural, of healings, plural. What I think that means, now you know what it means when I think it, right, Chris? What I think that means is that the Spirit does heal people of various illnesses in the church at different times according to His will and purpose. So we're not surprised when someone's healed, but we can't demand it. But the Spirit gives gifts, plural, multiple times of healings and heals different types of illness, diseases, you see what I'm saying? 
and it keeps coming. So I think it's a misunderstanding to say one person is gift, given a gift of healing that then they should be able to exercise. I haven't uncovered one of those. Timothy had stomach trouble. Remember that? Some of y'all love that verse. 1 Timothy 5, 23, because Paul said, drink a little wine. Some of y'all have been working on that stomach far too much. And, and, and Trophimus was another person that Paul spoke of with an unspecified illness. But Paul didn't heal either one of them. You know, the pool of Bethesda with the angel, uh, they believe the angel ruffled the surface of the water and whoever got in first got healed. Wonder how many folks there were around that pool waiting to get healed. How many did Jesus heal? One. One. Well, Jesus is cruel then. God's cruel to me. No, God loves us. And he does heal at times, sometimes. But it's according to his will. It's according to his plan. It's according to his purpose. And some of us with infirmities, I mean, I've been diabetic since I was eight. Both of my daughters are diabetic. Can I trust God to work in that and through that? Well, haven't you asked to, to be healed? Yes. And we're invited by God to seek healing. But we still have to regard healing of the soul as of greater value. But I want y'all to understand, you know, I, I try to be, um, to have integrity about these claims I make. So I've been in Holy Ghost, you know, I visited Holy Ghost tent revivals where healing was going to be done. I got in the blessing line more than once. Just a couple of years ago, I flew to Cleveland, Ohio with my wife and one of my daughters because there was a guy who, you know, it, it was claimed had a gift of healing. And I went to one of these healing services that you had to pay a hundred dollars, um, and people got prayed over, but I didn't receive or did I, nor did I witness a miraculous healing. Now, do I believe God used this particular man at times? I absolutely do. But do I believe he did it almost on command? I, I don't. I don't. I believe if one of you or if I had the gift of healing, I believe I could empty prisma. But that isn't the purpose of these miraculous gifts. Is, that, is this reasonable so far? Because I'm trying to make us look at the scripture as we develop our theology. God designed miracles to prove his power, but also to attract attention to point people to divine truth. And so that's out of this passage, the third purpose of miracles is to introduce the gospel. Verse 12. See, right now I need God to heal these eyes. They're getting older. Peter saw his opportunity and he addressed the crowd. People of Israel, he said, he knew who his audience was. What is, so, what is so surprising about this? 
And why stare at us as though we had made this man walk by our own power and godliness? See, he quickly said, it's not me. So he didn't start saying, okay, y'all line up, bring some, bring some alms, and I'm going to start healing you. He said, no, I, it's, it, I'm no more than a vessel. He took no credit. And he said to these people who were Jews that the God of the Jews did this to glorify Jesus. In verse 13, it continues. For it is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of all our ancestors, who has brought glory to his servant Jesus by doing this. And then Peter, I'm just going to summarize some of this. Please read it later. He referred to how they had arrested Jesus and demanded that the Romans crucify him. And they wanted a criminal, Barabbas, released instead. And then he recited the resurrection at Acts chapter 15. And he said, you killed the author of life. Y'all remember who authors life. It's very key, particularly at this time in our nation. But God raised him from the dead. And we are witnesses of this fact. See, the miracle that Peter just performed made resurrection more believable. Because if God's not able to heal people who are sick, how could he possibly raise the dead? But it shows that God, who is the giver of life, is also the restorer of life. Verse 16. Through faith in the name of Jesus, this man was healed, and you know how crippled he was before. Faith in Jesus' name has healed him before your very eyes. Peter knew his audience, and the lesson to us is look for the opportunity, but know who you're talking to. Know, know what's troubling them. And Peter talked about the prophets, that the prophets predicted Jesus. But in our culture, it may be that people need to hear that there's hope in Jesus Christ. We see division all around, but unity is possible in Christ. You know what? We'll never look just alike. You and I favor each other, but we're not just alike. But you know what? We are just alike in Jesus Christ, aren't we? And so to say unity Love, acceptance are all possible in Jesus Christ. That may be the answer, but find out. Maybe it's someone's loss. Maybe it's someone's fear. Possibly they're disappointed in God. They've had someone they loved who died. Look for the opportunity and say, tell me why you don't believe. Tell me why you're disappointed in God. You see what I'm saying? That's, we're ambassadors with that message. And then he offered them good news at verse 19. Now repent of your sins and turn to God so that your sins may be wiped away. Then times of refreshment will come from the presence of the Lord. And he will again send you Jesus, your appointed Messiah. So Jesus is coming again. Peter then went and talked about how this is the man that Moses declared the prophet who would come. He told them that all the, Jew, all the Jewish prophets had spoken of the arrival of Jesus. 
He spoke of the covenant that God made with his people and said, because of that covenant, God sent the son, the Messiah to you first. And you had the chance to begin the blessing to all people on the earth, which is part of the Abrahamic covenant. He closed his message by telling them that God sent Jesus. He honored them by sending them first. He, he, he loves them by turning them from sin. But what does God want to do in your life? What work of power does God desire to do in you? Or is God willing to do in you to provide a sign that he is real? A sign that will amaze a disbelieving, even a skeptical audience. What do you need God to heal? What do you need God to heal? Is it a physical illness? Is it a broken relationship? Perhaps some some painful loss has left grief so deep you can hardly function. A sinful pattern you just cannot break. Some emotional wound that's causing you to respond with with deep fear or, or outrageous anger. Does anybody have any of those that need to be healed or anything that I didn't name? Let me see your hands. Hold them up a minute. Okay, I'm going to ask you something. I don't mean to embarrass you in any way. If you're uncomfortable, don't do it. But if you would like someone nearby you to pray for your healing, I want to ask you to stand. No one needs to touch you, but the people who gather, you just would like someone pray. Now, I want people who are around them to pray. You can even just, just raise your hand toward this person so we know that everyone's being, just someone raise their hand just toward the person. So like if there's someone behind you so that we know that these people are all being covered individually. I'm going to lead us in prayer, but you pray. Just lift, those of you that are praying, I want you to lift your hand toward the person just so we know that they are being covered by someone's prayer. We've got two right here. You got okay. Y'all just cover them. Cover them with prayer. Okay. Father, you see those in need. And Lord, there are many that for whatever reason are still seated. And there may be some of us who haven't even discovered our real needs. But you know them. You know them. And God, I ask you right now to do a work a work of wonder, a work of power, a sign for an unbelieving culture, a miracle that displays your power but doesn't reduce your power is only a small token of it. Lord, I pray that you would touch and you would heal. And Lord, you know the need. But Lord, that you would use this as a sign in our midst that you would glorify your name and the name of your Son. We pray 
in the holy, blessed name of our Savior. Amen. Thanks for joining us for this week's message. Our memory verse is Hebrews 2, verse 4. And God confirmed the message by giving signs and wonders and various miracles and gifts of the Holy Spirit whenever He chose. Here's this week's spiritual practice. Pray for healing from physical, emotional, and spiritual weaknesses and wounds. Ask someone to pray for you about this concern also. At Brookwood, we want to help you pursue a relationship with Jesus so that you can experience a transformed life. One way you can do this is by getting connected at Brookwood. Please email us at connections at brookwoodchurch.org or call 864-688-8326 to speak to someone on our Connections team. Thank you for listening and have a great week.